Hello and welcome to the Baseball Wisconsin Podcast. I am your host, Tim Gotzler. Well, the fifth inning takes us to Heartland. We sit down with head baseball coach at Lake Country Lutheran High School, Dave Barr. Now, before we go any further, please do me a favor and make sure that you subscribe and share these episodes so you don't miss any of the new episodes that get released every other Tuesday. Now, back to D-Barr. His resume speaks for itself. 440 wins, 155 losses, that's a winning percentage of 740, countless conference championships, back-to-back state champions. As the enrollment of the school has exploded, they've moved up the ranks to Division IV, to Division Three, and even into Division Two. Now, what's most impressive about Dave is how he treats his players, his love for his school, his community, and his faith. Dave's gonna unpack his relationship as a teacher and a coach, how much pride he takes in the classroom, and how those tools translate to the baseball field. Truly thankful for D-Bar for taking the time to sit down with us today, and I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. Without further ado, head baseball coach at Lake Country Lutheran High School, Dave Barr. Absolutely, thank you for joining us. Well. Um, I want to get right into it. So um, we're starting with this question. Just tell us about your journey in, in, within baseball, maybe as a player, where'd you grow up and, you know, how far did that take you? And then, and then start about your, your journey as a coach and, you know, to where you are right now. Okay. I'm going to have a, probably a pretty odd story compared to most baseball guys. Um, I, I grew up in uh, Niagara Falls, New York, um, played football, basketball, and baseball growing up um, uh, all the way through high school. And uh, when I went to college back in those days, we're talking 37 years ago when I went to college, um, Division Three at Concordia uh, was Concordia College in, in River Forest, Illinois at that point. Now it's Concordia University, Chicago. Um, when you went Division Three in those days, I mean, my siblings who also went to, to different Concordias around the nation played multiple sports. Um, you could play multiple sports. And so I went to college intending to play um, football, basketball, and baseball. I had probably had the most talk with the baseball coach going in because he was my admissions counselor. And then he also served as baseball coach back then again, you know, guys were doing multiple jobs, right? They had to pay the bills, probably only made a few thousand dollars to coach college baseball in those days. Um, Well, I played football and I played basketball my freshman year and I was worn out. And uh, so I didn't end up playing baseball, even though it was probably my number one sport growing up. Um, But I was not outstanding. I wasn't an all-star at anything. Um, I probably had the most success in high school in basketball, but I knew that as a five foot 11 white guy, I wasn't going anywhere um, with that long term. Um, You know, but I just want to keep playing sports as much as I could. I just was worn out at the end of my freshman year um, playing football and basketball. And and I had, uh, I got on the field a little bit as a freshman. So I felt pretty successful with that. And at that point I got out of baseball. I played um, football and basketball. So my sophomore year and then just basketball, my junior and senior year of um, college. So coming out of college, I was going to coach football and basketball. That's what I had played. Um, and when I student taught, I coached football. And so I got my first teaching job in Fort Wayne, Indiana at Concordia Lutheran high school and uh, was a JV football coach. And um, they didn't have a basketball opening. And so I was real disappointed with that because that's what I had really played. I really knew the game of basketball. Um, of the three, by the way, the sport I've coached the least in my uh, 33 years of teaching is basketball. I've only coached a couple of three seasons of girls basketball in, in those 33 years. Um, but I was, that's what I was going to do, coach football and basketball. And um, so I coached JV football, had a great time with that, got to know the kids. You know, you, you know as a, a teacher coach, it's, it's an awesome way to connect both in the classroom and um, you know, in that sport then, and, um, didn't have anything in basketball. My wife was coaching basketball. So I kept busy, you know, just, um, uh, in, in relation to that or in contact with that got around to the spring season. And one week after the tryouts were over at this high school in baseball, the, uh, baseball coach, the head baseball coach, who was a PE teacher at the school, uh, came up to me and said, Hey, bar. And uh, this is a guy, he's he's pretty gruff, old school. Um, Everybody was kind of afraid of him in faculty meetings. You know, I mean, he was a picture Bill Young, right? Um, You know, that kind of guy, just the personality, he ran the room for sure. And he says, hey, Bart, he says, "Uh, you want to coach baseball? 
And I, I, I was scared. I thought about not doing it just because I was scared of this guy, you know. Um, and uh, I thought about it for a couple of days. What had happened is his longtime assistant, um, his job hours had changed and he was not an educator. And so he couldn't get to games till five o'clock. So he needed somebody on staff who could take, the, take over the JV program and go with the kids right after school and stuff. Well, as it turns out, uh, Jack Masucci was this coach's name. He's a Hall of Famer in Indiana. He's six, almost 600 wins. Um, and he taught me everything he know. And uh, it was the greatest experience. I coached for 16 years in Indiana before I moved to Wisconsin. And um, he's a teddy bear of a man. Once you got, once you got on his good side, um, you know, you were one of his sons and you were taken care of. And a um, and, uh, lot of laughs, a lot of memories, a lot of success. Um, and just really from, I mean, from the skills of the game to the strategy of the game to the way to handle kids and families. Um, I, I owe everything to Jack Masucci as far as, and like I say, baseball wasn't even on my radar and now it's what I do, right? Other than teach math, it's what I do. It's who I am. So it's kind of yeah. funny. Now, what, when did you come up to Wisconsin? What year was that? So um, in 2003, um, I moved here to Wisconsin. That's a, kind of a little interesting story, too, because I took over the, uh, the Jack Masucci, who I trained under for nine years, uh, retired. Um, you know, he uh, got to retirement age and retired, and I took over the program in Fort Wayne. Um, and I had that program for seven years, and that was an ultra-successful program in Indiana. We were recognized as one of the top 20 programs in the state every year, and that was when Indiana was still a single-class uh, sport. Now, uh, Concordia Lutheran High School was, had almost 1,000 kids when I was there, so it was a pretty big school. It wasn't like Lake Country, which is as much – when I came to Lake Country, we had 80 kids. Um, now we have 360, but when I came here, we had 80. Um, you know, so we were – we were a state power. Um, we were getting the best competition. Um, we were getting the best players uh, at a private school in Indiana, you know, uh, that, you know, that weren't, that were leaving the public system. Um, so it was a really, really great situation for me. Um, and about two years before I came to Wisconsin, my brother was the original principal at Lake Country Lutheran, where I am now. And um, he said, hey, you should come work for me. And it, when he started the school, he had six kids. I uh, ended it with 13 kids the first year and then they had like 30. And so he's asking me to come work on his staff. And he had like 30 kids and I'm at a school with a thousand and a state ranked baseball team. I just like, you're nuts, right? Um, there's no way. Um, but you know, just God does mysterious things in your life. Sometimes he moved us different ways. And, uh, uh there were some things that were, um, just led us to move. We just felt like it was a good time to move. It was a good situation for our family. And most of my wife's family and my family lives up here in Wisconsin. So we decided to come up here. But the interesting thing, Tim, when we, when we came up here in 2003, it was the third or fourth year of Lake Country Lutheran's history. There was no baseball program. So I left a state ranked, you know, great program to come to a school that didn't even have a baseball team. And um, I didn't even intend to keep coaching. Um, I was just going to teach math and help get the school growing. Um, and what happened is a couple of kids I had in class uh, in like January of that first year I was here said, Hey, we heard you coach baseball in Indiana. And I said, yeah, yeah, I did. And they said, would you coach us if we got a team together? And I was like, no, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> and, uh, and they're like, why not? And I'm like, you guys ever play baseball? Oh yeah. We play, we played softball in grade school, you know, stuff like that, you know, right. or I played little league, uh, you know, and maybe one or two kids had played like five O's or, or walk shop blazers or something. But I mean, literally there were like two kids in the program. Right. Um, and so eventually I just said, all right, well, if you can get 17 kids to sign up and we had 80 in the school, you can get mm -hmm. 17 guys to say they'll play baseball. I'll coach the team. They came back the next day with 18 names on a petition list. Now, 12 of those kids could not walk and chew gum at the same time, but that's what we started with. And we were the masters of scheduling people that actually were competitive with us and then built the program from there, which was kind of, which is it really super kind of cool, right? Because, uh, um, you know, we're real proud of where we are today. It took a lot of work to go from, oh, man, those first couple practices, brutal. <laughs> oh, man, I – I didn't know all that. So thanks for opening that up. I mean, two things stand out to me that I want to ask you further on. I feel like guys that have coached multiple sports, guys and gals that coach multiple sports, like what lessons did you learn from coaching football or from playing basketball? Like, did you learn things 
that helped you as a baseball coach, maybe in um, practice structure or, you know, drill organization or practice you know, length or times? Like what lessons did you learn coaching those other sports that you brought with you as a baseball coach? Obviously you had a fantastic hall of fame mentor but was mm -hmm. picked up from those other sports. Yeah, I would say almost yes to all of that. Um, football, I think, especially, um, well, basketball, too, um, when I played it and even the, the three seasons that I've coached, um, I, I, I think you can fall into, I think poor programs in baseball can fall into a um, habit of, of uh, we're going to have some infield time going to have some hitting time. Um, you know, everybody takes DP and, um, you know, let's put the guys out in the field and we'll hit fly balls and ground balls at them and stuff like that. And football and basketball are so structured of breaking down skills and switching every 10 minutes and things like that. And if you came out to one of our baseball practices, it looks a ton like that. I mean, my, my practices are, um, I write them out on index cards because I'm still old school, but, you know, they're to the minute. And we are moving on the minute, you know, and, and I break it up. Uh, basically a third of the practice is defense, a third is offense, and a third is team strategy. And, you know, we're moving every 10 minutes. We're trying not to let the kids get bored, um, you know, stand in line. Uh, we got a whole mess of rules about um, game-like situations, number of reps you can take, you know, when you're hitting especially, um, or even fielding, um, you know, to try and make it as, as, as uh, game-like as possible. And, um, I mean, I think our kids, um, they've gone through some grade school experiences sometimes where they've done some of that standing around and they think baseball's boring and they come to our first couple practices and they're like, well, two hours is gone already? I'm like, no, actually two hours and 15 minutes today. We went well, you know, um, but, you know, we're moving. We're moving them and we're keeping them hopping and um, you know, things are getting worked on. You're not, you, you, can't, you can't get varicose veins. Uh, you're not going to get, you know, stand idle in our, in our program. That's a, that's a kind of a big philosophy thing. So, Absolutely. and I think that came from the other sports. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think everybody sees it that, you know, baseball's boring because, you know, 12 kids are standing in the outfield while some, you know, dad bless his heart is trying to throw batting practice to one kid at home plate. And um, I think I heard Mark Reardon from Iowa Western call it like the prison yard in the outfield. The guys are standing around waiting for the ball and, it's not very engaging, you know, during that kind of BP setting in youth baseball. So I, I love the model where you know, you're moving them, you're moving them, you're constantly keeping them engaged because uh, you hit it right on the head. Um, second thing you mentioned yeah, was I'll add to that kind of a, I'll add to that kind of a funny story, um, and I won't mention names here because I don't want to embarrass anybody. Even though probably the coaches or programs would be long gone. And this is back when we first started. We were maybe four or five years into our program, and again, I came from. I came from this, right? I mean, where, where we were really doing it, I think, well and successfully. And we happened to be playing at a public park, as you often do when you're playing some of the um, uh, city teams and, and um, teams with uh, not as traditional programs um, as, as we might have on our schedule now. But we were playing at a, a city park, and we were playing against one, one team. And there was another team that was also on our schedule that was – they're practicing on another diamond while our game was going on, if you can picture this in your mind. And while we were into bat, I happened to notice the team that was practicing. What they were doing is they had 12 kids practicing, and they took all 12 kids and put them in left field in a big line, and they hit each kid a fly ball. And then they moved to center field, and they hit each kid a fly ball. And I said to my coaches, I said, watch that for a minute. And they did, and they said, we're never going to lose to that program. We'll never lose to that program. We're just, we're not, we're, you know, but it's baseball. You lose to everybody, right? Because we've all been humbled in this sport. But, yeah. I mean, I, there is a right way to, to um, give yourself a uh, – opportunity to be more successful than than other ways you know absolutely well hey you you talked about um, being a math teacher a couple times so how does your full-time job as a math teacher really prepare you and help you as a baseball coach well again I'm gonna <laughs> I'm probably gonna make some baseball people that are listening to your podcast mad but um my side job um I'm a math teacher that's what I do um I, I do pretty well I've been recognized for it um Math, uh, being a math teacher and, and doing that hard and doing that well and doing that in an organized fashion, kids get to know what I'm like that way, how I run things in my classroom. I think it really helps when we get out to the field that they know that there's a time that I'm, I'm serious and I want to get things done and get them done right. But then there's also a time to let your hair down 
you know, after the lesson's over, if you will, and enjoy each other. And as long as you do the first one right, the second one becomes more enjoyable because there's a win that comes with it. You know, a lot of times there's a win on the scoreboard, but there's a win of feeling good about the product that you've produced because of the work you've put in. Um, and I think that relationship starts in my math classroom. You know, if you, I, I'm, I'm 33 years into coaching now and, and teaching and I, 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 people keep asking me, you know, how much longer are you going to coach? And I, uh, I'll say, Oh, you know, a couple more years. And I said that like 10 years ago, here I still am. Cause I can't really imagine not coaching. Um, but yet I'm a math teacher. I mean, if you took the coaching away from me, I, I can do what I do in the classroom, you know, until I retire. I, I love that too. Um, it's not to say that I don't love baseball, but I do want to, um, you know, I do want the kids at school to know that baseball is what we do after school. You know, um, what I am is a, you know, I'm a math teacher and I'm real serious about that. I mean, I'm really serious about producing good math students, right? I'm really proud of our kids that are going into engineering and hey, we have a pretty good reputation at Lake Country Lutheran in the math department of producing a lot of, you know, engineers and architects. And I mean, that's one of our um, big programs. Math is one of our well-known programs and, uh, you know, and then, like I say, I think we're successful in baseball and a lot of our other sports because we've been successful academically. We've set up a culture in our school of doing things right. And it plays over on the athletic fields as well, if that makes sense. Well, it absolutely does. You know, and we talked to our players about being student athletes I think to demonstrate a teacher coach in that order. Um, like we want to demonstrate and explain to them that they need to be student athletes. Um, yeah. I mean, I, Right. I mean, you, your actions speak so much louder than your words when you're living it and you're, showing up, you know, 180 days a year in the classroom. doesn't matter if it's dead of winter or if it's, you know, sectional final, you're, you know, you're still be, being a teacher. Um, that's, yeah. that's a lot. So, well, I mean, if, you get, if, if you get frank about it too, you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, they pay me whatever they pay me to teach. I, I, I won't talk salary here, but it's, they don't pay me anywhere near that to coach, right? So I'd be dumb if I said I'm a coach that teaches math, right? I mean, I, I'm not going to be able to support my family that way, if, if you think about it that way, too. And the kids the same way. I mean, they have to understand that as much as we love this game, and we do love it, right? Don't we? We just, we do love it. As much as we love it, it's only going to take us so far. Um, only, only the select few make it to the majors and can make a living off it. The rest of us are really playing around with it. And, and we thank God we have the opportunity to do that as much as we do. So, right, right. Yeah. Wow. Well, you've already mentioned a couple, but, you know, it's like the sports talk radio question, you know, the Mount Rushmore of coaching influences on you. So just go into three or four guys that have had the most influence on your, on your coaching um, philosophy and maybe one of them lives in your house with you. Maybe it's your, maybe it's Janet, you know, I mean, I got to imagine that's a, a fantastic dynamic when it comes to head coaching and success. So maybe go into the three or four people that you would put on your Mount Rushmore of influences as a coach. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's the, uh, I laugh at that too. You know, you, you, you uh, sent me the questions ahead of time, Tim, and, and it says name the three or four guys. And the first person that comes to mind is my wife. Um, and I'm not just saying that because she's my wife. She's, she's an incredible coach. Um, those of you out there that don't know who my wife is, she's a volleyball coach at Lake Country Lutheran. She's won. She's been to three or four state finals games and won a couple of state titles here in the last couple of years. And um, um, it is really – and she was my athletic director my first 13 years at, at Lake Country Lutheran. And uh, we've we, – uh, she's a Hall of Famer in our college. You know, I've known her since my freshman year of college. We dated and got married. And she's a basketball, volleyball player in college and, and Hall of Fame player. And, and uh, you know, she's a Hall of Fame coach in my mind, too. She uh, took a couple teams to the state finals in Indiana when it was a one-class state and in basketball. And now she's gone to the volleyball state finals in Wisconsin, like I say, three or four times and won a couple. Um, the way she um, – the way she prepares her, her team and herself and the, the, what they get out of practice. When we were talking earlier about, you know, scheduling practice and stuff like that. If you were, I think, I think every coach should actually go in the gym and watch our volleyball teams practice. It's incredible. They have four nets set up and three teams going and there's something going on on every court all the time and movement and everybody knows exactly what they're doing. And there's, Balls going everywhere, and yet there's balls going everywhere with purpose all the time. It's 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 incredible. It's inspirational, and um, she just has had teams produce beyond their talent over and over and over again. And that just comes from, um, you know, <laughs> doing it right. Um, 
Another one I didn't mention earlier is the guy that I trained under, learned under in, in Fort Wayne, uh, Hall of Famer in Indiana, Jack Masucci. Um, he was a kiss guy. He always said kiss, keep it simple, stupid was his phrase. Uh, old school guy. Um, you know, he, he was a guy who you had to wear your uniform exactly the same way. You know, everybody had their pants the same height and, um, you know, and I'm not that guy, that guy at all. Uh, but he was very much a technician. He was a technician with his skill. Uh, and yet he also was maybe the best evaluator of talent I've ever been around. Um, really could see a kid in a first day of tryouts and know that that kid was going to play shortstop for him in three years on the varsity level. And, and the kid was trying out at first base. You know what I mean? I mean, he just knew when he looked at kids, oh, that kid's going to be a great right fielder. And, and not only did he have the skill to evaluate, he had the skill to convince kids that that's how they best helped the team. And that's actually something I think I learned from him. It, actually, both of those things by watching him. Um, I think I've done a pretty fair job of putting kids where they can be most successful. Um, but probably my largest skill as a coach is um, my ability to relate to kids and then convince them that what they're doing is best for the team, even if it might not be um, their favorite thing, you know, or their best thing. Um, you know, we'll probably talk players later on, but the best player in our program ever, history, never played his best position, ever. Never one inning of any game did he ever play his best position for us, um, his best fielding position. Let me, uh, cut you off. Let me cut you off for a second. Let's open that up for a second since we're there. Like, yeah. Who comes to mind? Explain more when you say that. Okay, so B.J. Sable is the, is the best player in the history of uh, Lake Country Lutheran's program to this point. Um, we got a kid right now who's pretty doggone good, but B.J., uh, you know, it, it just statistically and what he accomplished in the state as an All-State player and went on to Indiana and pitched there and is pitching uh, in the lower levels of pro ball now. Um, and so p pitching is his best position, uh, and he pitched like crazy for us, right? He won 30 games or whatever in, in three years. But – um, his best position in the field, because BJ also hit 580 his junior year and 540 his senior year or something like that. He's an incredible baseball player all the way around, like all the really good ones are. Uh, his best position in the field is first base. He never played an inning of first base for us. Because you know as a coach, Tim, there's a lot of guys who can only play first base. There's just nothing else they can do besides catch the ball, and they can't really move, and so you got to hide them someplace. And that tends to be a position where you can hide a guy sometimes. Um, BJ was an incredible athlete, so we used him actually in right field. You know, the position that you put the kid who picks dandelions in, 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 um, in uh, Little League, he, that's, he played right field all four years for us, and he was a tremendous right fielder. Um, but he did that because he knew that our team was better with him doing that. Now, he and his dad and his grandpa's a Hall of Famer in, in the you know, uh, coach at Johnson Creek for years, uh, Sable's grandpa. So some people listening to this might know that name, Sable. Um, Great guy, George Sable, uh, coached at Johnson Creek and like stays a Hall of Famer in Wisconsin. Um, BJ, uh, you know, his grandpa, his dad, any of them could have came and said, what are you doing? You know, this kid's your best first baseman, but nobody ever did um, because they knew that the team was better. Um, and, and your great players will sacrifice for the betterment of the team, right? Peyton Manning's going to take a pay cut um, to get Marvin Harrison still on his team to throw to. That's, you know, that's the really good ones do that. Um, the selfish ones will kill your program. <laughs> oh, well, that's, thanks for opening that up. I mean, that's, that's just amazing stuff. And man, but is there anybody else comes to mind coaching wise? Um, uh, yeah, a couple others. Um, I mean, shoot, you know, you know this, and this is why you're able to do this program. Um, the coaching fraternity in baseball is amazing. And there's been really only maybe two guys in my 30 years of coaching that I didn't like. I mean, it's just so easy to like baseball coaches. Uh, um, there's not that that um, animosity that's amongst football and basketball coaches, the other two sports that I've coached. You know, there's sometimes a lot of um, machoism and a lot of, uh, I don't know, um, type A personalities that just can't work together. But baseball coaches love to share things, uh, love to talk before games and after games. Yeah, we're competitive, but we, we, end, we walk away friends a lot. Um, we, which is super cool. So literally all of them, but two other coaches that I would mention is um, uh, Chad Janetsky's coach at Martin Luther High School um, has been instrumental for me because uh, Ed really pushed me out of my comfort zone 
and got us as a program about 10 years ago to travel. He kept inviting us to travel with them. He, he wanted it to be a brotherhood between our two schools. Our, our schools are sister schools, but we play each other. So the kids weren't always friendly. But he said, I think we can do this, Dave, because you and I get along. I think we can take our kids and travel with them. So about 10 years ago, there's a stretch of years where we, we traveled to Texas for a number of years. And it was great for both of our programs and um, great for our kids and started um, some summer opportunities for some of them to play together. And then uh, more recently, we've been traveling together. And now we've included Milwaukee Lutheran, our other sister school, too, uh, uh, down to St. Louis area and we play some other um, Lutheran private schools down there and um, that's just been a it's it's uh, not only been a good thing for us as coaches to get along but it's been inter instrumental for our programs to um, have this travel opportunity to look forward to you know the parents enjoy that the kids really enjoy that I think it's super important to get kids away from their house on the road especially if you end up having some tournament success they have to understand what it's like to stay in a hotel and play now most of the really good ones do that in the summer but there's there's kids in your program that don't have that experience so it's a great experience to have but it's also when you get if you get to the higher levels and you have to do that if they've done it before it's not odd it's not it's not a weird experience to have a roommate and have curfew hours and you know and 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 you know to try and invent all that stuff for a weekend in appleton sometimes can throw you off you know what I mean? But I thought the years we went to Appleton, we had gone to Texas for a week or we had gone to St. Louis for a weekend. So our kids already knew who their roommates were, what the rules were, no pool, you know, no this, no phones, whatever, you know, whatever the rules were. And they all, they knew how to handle themselves. And I thought that was key actually. So. Absolutely. Wow. Well, I mean, kind of transitioning out of, you know, direct influence. Is there any, is there any program that you follow? Is there a college coach? Um, even outside of baseball that you follow and really align maybe philosophical with, is it, you know, maybe a, like a Nick Saban or a coach K or, you know, Augie Garrido, like, is there someone maybe that you've learned about over the years that you, you try to follow from afar? Well, originally um, I was a Ron Polk disciple. Um, we always called the baseball playbook. We called it the baseball Bible and uh, a lot of, we still are doing, Drills that are right out of the baseball playbook that Ron Polk wrote. Um, so I was a big Mississippi State guy for a lot of years, my early years, especially when I was in Indiana. Um, you know, uh, Barry Alvarez actually has been uh, pretty influential. We had, we were fortunate enough when I was uh, doing our youth football program at Lake Country Lutheran and his grand grandchildren. Um, played in our youth football program and Barry actually came out and talked to our kids a couple times and um, I mean he is a mountain of a man right and yet a humble guy a servant leader uh, with as much success he came and talked to sixth seventh and eighth grade fifth sixth seventh and eighth grade kids and and he didn't use any of that he didn't use any of his notoriety he used he talked to them about about being successful in life and he talked to them about things bigger than football it was super cool Right. Um, and so I, you know, I followed a lot of what Barry's done. I think, I think Wisconsin's athletic department as a whole has benefited from him now, um, not just the football program. Uh, you know, they're so successful in so many areas. Um, and then, you know, really in these last number of years, I have become a, a Craig Council disciple um, because of the way he handles his team. I think Craig has a unique ability to um, be a, a, a player's coach, but yet still a good manager. Um, and it's hard to balance those two things. You know, some guys are really popular with their players, but then they can't motivate them. Other guys, you know, are just uh, great technicians of the game, but they don't necessarily connect with their, their players. They need somebody else on their staff to do it. It appears that he is able to do both. Uh, I would want a little more than he does. <laughs> Especially with with the guy on second in the 10th yes. inning, yes. right? Yes. California rules. Yes. But, um, you know, I mean, actually, to tell you the truth, I'm a big inning guy. I'm a big inning believer. I've always yeah. um, But I still scream at my television. <laughs> more. Uh, but, no, I just uh, – more personally than anything baseball-wise, I, I really um, think it's a cool story. Uh, everything I've read about him, um, his ability to relate to people. And I think that he's a Milwaukee kid. And he's given back to the community still. And uh, when you read about even some of the things that he did during COVID when they were shut down, how he got pickup games going down in the neighborhood there, down by Whitefish Bay, at Park, those are cool things. That's giving back to the community. And his players 
also are beginning to do that too. And, you know, some of that is Stearns too, but they've really put together something that is cool to be around, you know, for, um, for professional baseball, I think. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you, you know, going into that stuff. So now let's kind of bring it back into LCL baseball. So give us like a, just a scope of baseball in your community. Um, is there, is there a youth program? Um, what does the youth scene look like before they get to high school? Yeah, so we started uh, uh, our youth program, uh, I think maybe about six or seven years ago now. Um, and we have, we started with just a, uh, a single team, maybe a U12, but now we have a, uh, a, we try to have a U12, a U13, and a U14 every year. So basically sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Um, we would have more than that, but we don't have the fields to practice them and play them. You know, and I'm actually kind of always getting pushed by our youth director. There's a, a youth director for our association to have more teams. And I keep telling them, build another diamond. <laughs> you know, I mean, we just, it, it, um, it would cost too much for, we'd have to rent facilities for them to practice and play at. Um, that's, that's been huge uh, for maintaining the consistency in our program. Um, we, once we got to a point where we were pretty being recognized as a solid program, we began to draw consistent talent from the, um, area, we would get one or two, three good, really quality players every year. But a lot of times the other five or six players were not at a good enough level to support them and really get the success we needed. What we, since we started our youth program and we are pretty hands-on with that program, I, one of our uh, high school coaches is always involved with those teams, like with their um, practices in the winter and stuff like that. So they're running our drills and they're, they're using our philosophy. Um, and the coaches are very much handpicked. Um, a lot of them have a connection to maybe one of our current players, um, you know, like a dad or something, you know, it's not just, it's not just some dad who wants to coach his kid. It's somebody who understands our program. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, so we are now getting what's happening in probably actually not getting as much top end talent as we did four or five years ago. You know, that maybe that goes in waves or I don't know, maybe somebody else is getting them now. CMH. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I, I, our, um, our second level talent is much better than it used to be. You know what I mean? Um, so after that top one or two players, we don't bottom out. We, we aren't hiding kids in different positions. We're pretty, we're much more solid throughout our program. Um, where it's probably hurt us, I know one of your other questions coming up later on is uh, about tryouts. We probably don't have as many kids trying out anymore as we used to because I think words out that if you aren't coming in with, um, you know, some traditionally strong skills, um, you're, you're not going to make it, you know. So we used to get a lot more kids trying out, but that's because there was an opportunity for a walk-on, if you will, to make the program, you know. And there just isn't anymore. Those kids are getting edged out, and they know it when they come to open gym. Come to open gym. I'm sitting over in a corner in a chair, just trying to make sure nobody gets hurt. And you know, you can tell the five or six kids that. I mean, you know, they're looking around the room and they're going, "Oh, you know, I can't make it. I can't make the seat." So, it, in a way, it's made cuts easier for us. But it's also, fortunately, you know, we're probably not getting some kids who might grow from that experience to even come out anymore. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's go right into the high school program then. So, you have two or three teams. Do you have a varsity, a JV, JV one. How does it work? Yeah, same, same thing again. Uh, you know, we had a lot of pre uh, push for a while for a freshman team, but we only run a JV1 and a varsity. Um, and the reason for that is um, there's really three reasons for that. Uh, the number one reason is with only one diamond, um, it would be too difficult for us to practice three teams and schedule three teams. Uh, we'd have to rent diamonds other places. And of course, we could do that. But um, I, I just I think we'd lose quality. So I've, I've worked against it. Um, um, unless we can build another diamond. Secondly, our conference, nobody in our conference has a freshman team. So if we had a freshman team, we'd, um, we'd have to enter a conference like the Classic 8 or something like that. Well, right now, we play their freshman teams. Like, we'll play Arrowhead's freshman team or, um, or uh, a Conlock's freshman team with our JV1, you know, because of the talent disparity. So who would our freshmen play? Um, you know, I I, I, we, we, we probably do bottom out a quality baseball player at about 25 kids. So it's more like two teams than three teams. Uh, but even recently, we're not, we're not trying out enough for three teams because in order to field three teams, I think we'd need to try out, in my mind, we'd have to try out probably 45 kids, right, to, to get three solid teams or more. 
and we're not, we're trying out 35 or less. Um, some years we're only trying out 30 and keeping 25 or 26. Um, so, uh, you know, so those are basically the three reasons. There's really no place for them to practice and play. Um, nobody in our conference has a freshman team, so we'd have to try and play larger schools, which would put us at an inequitable position um, with those kids that are left over. And we really aren't trying out enough kids to field the freshman team anymore. There were a few years when we were, but again, that was years when actually our overall quality was not as good as it is now. Right now we have, you know, we have 26 kids in our program like we always have, 20 someplace, you know, between 25 and 30, but they're all at a pretty high level, you know. I mean, you go back even like five or six years ago, and our bottom half of our JV, you, when a fly ball went up, you were worried whether that kid's going to break his nose or not, you know. I mean, he was going to come in and it was going over his head. I mean, we, we just don't have many of those kids anymore, you know. Um, so... Fewer kids, better quality. Well, speaking of tryouts, how, I mean, how do you guys have a certain process you run through? Uh, how many days does it last? It's one of my favorite questions to ask coaches because you know, coaches will do like a showcase route, some like the inner squad. Um, there's a whole different bunch of formats. So, yeah, what do you guys do for tryouts? Um, it kind of depends a little bit on the experience of the group we're bringing back. And because of um, – because of <laughs> – Wisconsin is a different state, uh, Tim. I don't know how much you know about that, but I mean, when I was in Indiana, I had six weeks to prepare before my first game. We started practice on February 28th. We started games the exact same time we started them here in Wisconsin. And so we had the whole entire month of March to get ready. And from January 1st time, we had pitcher catcher time. And so that's what I came what I came from when I came here. And so to have seven days to get my kids ready, um, <laughs> uh we well, I'm sure are the, i'm sure the weather i mean in the weather down there i mean it's still oh, yeah. west, but i mean it's, it's it's significantly south oh yeah it's 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 10 degrees warmer you know on average throughout the spring in the summer it's probably not that much different but in the spring you know when it's when it's 40s here it's 50s there you know and and so on so yeah you, you can be outside in march i was mostly outside in march um Whereas here we're lucky if we get out, you know, sometimes early mid-April. But um, it, no, the uh, what I'm saying is, if we're if we're if we are if we're bringing back a pretty veteran team, and we know that we are going to be able to bring the new kids along slowly, we we might start into our trial dates and actually do things that are getting us ready for our first game, especially if our schedule is built. Um, to be a difficult one. You know, like a lot of times we're leading off with non-conference games. I mean, we scrimmage Arrowhead every year, and then our first non-conference game a lot of times is Pewaukee, who might be ranked in the top five. And, and um, you know, you guys are usually early on our schedule, you know, when you were at CMH and, and uh, you know, Waukesha North. And we're, we're playing teams that are better than a lot of our conference opponents. And so we, we might, especially with our older kids, kids, we might not be trying them out as much as we're already getting them ready for the first game. And they already know all of what we do, right, from summer ball and from being in the program for a number of years. If it's a year where we're replacing a lot and we've probably scheduled down a little bit, then our um, tryout days are going to be a lot more skill work and uh, evaluation. You know, so we're going to put kids at all the, all the different positions. We're going to, um, you know, hit them ground balls. We're going to, you know, make them turn double plays. A lot, of, a lot of that kind of stuff and not as much team strategy stuff. So it kind of depends a little bit on the makeup. So it's, it, I guess it switches a little bit from year to year. Um, we try and get our trials done in three days. Um, and that's just, that's because, I think that's super quick, but that's because of um, how quickly we're going to play. Um, and so we, I can't afford to try out for a whole week and then only have three days to get ready for my first game. You know, I mean, I'm, by the time we're trying out as the varsity coach, I'm already in setting up my pitching for the first three or four games and I'm laying out what bullpen I want them to have. I can't be thinking about that and also who's going to make the team. You know what I mean? Um, and so it, it, I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. Oh, it just, absolutely does. I just think we're really crammed. Um, I'm on the coach's advisory committee this year. I'm going to, for the next three years, I'm going to push for a little bit more time up front. I, I um, if we're so concerned about health of kids as we are with arm care and stuff like that, then we need more lead time. So I'm sure their response is just going to be, we'll schedule your games later, but then you can't schedule, you can't get a full season in. And we right. want to play a full season. That's a, that's yeah. a big priority for us. So yeah, absolutely. 
Well, hey, um, to kind of bring us into your program. So uh, you guys have had a tremendous amount of recent success. I mean, you're too humble to go through it. So I'll sure I'll put it in the intro when you're not on the line here. But um, like what makes your program so successful? Like someone's flying over your program, the 30,000 foot view, like what are they, when they look down, what are they seeing? Uh, like um, mission state, you know, mission, like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, yeah, I, I just feel like probably your listener wants to hear some kind of technical thing we do, but I <laughs> that at all, actually. Um, I mean, we do a lot of technical work because we, we believe in, in a ton of repetition. I mean, we get, oh gosh, when we're having a hitting practice, we get 200 swings a day. Um, you know, uh, and they're quality swings, you know, they're at, they're at 10 different stations and, uh, you know, so when we're putting in, when we're putting in fielding work and we got buckets out there, you're picking up hundred pound balls, you know? So when we, when we do skill work, we're trying to teach the right thing. And then we're, we're repeating it because we believe baseball is muscle memory. So skill wise, you know, I think we do all the same skill things. I don't think I could say anything skill wise that would blow anybody away. Um, I think what makes us different is um, our culture. We have an attitude uh, and it starts actually with football in our school, but we have an attitude of winning in our school. Um, kids come to our school expecting to be successful extracurricularly and academically. Um, so it's real easy when you already expect to win and you have a history of winning to, you know, to capitalize on that. Um, our program philosophy is uh, we, we are trying to accomplish three things every year, three W's. Um, the number one, one for us is, is worship. Uh, we're trying to use the talents that God's given us to worship him by playing to the very best of our ability, which means that every day we're trying to get better than the day before, because, um, if he gave everything, including his life for us, we, that we deserve to give all of that and more back. Uh, so that is an overriding philosophy. Every day is we're better than the day before. If we stay the same, all the other teams in our conference are gaining on us so um, we need to get better every day and and that's just who we are as as who we were created to be we were created to continually reflect our maker and be better every day with that so that's that's our first w the second w is witness um, and that has to do with the character of our team we want to in everything we do we want to represent lake country lutheran and more than that we want to represent our lord and savior um, with the right kind of character and so we want our kids to carry themselves in the right way, we talk to them about that, not only in baseball and on the field, but, um, you know, I don't want to hear about some teacher coming to me saying, hey, you're a baseball player. I hate that. It's my number one pet peeve when the history teacher comes down to my room and says, hey, one of your baseball players, because first of all, he's not one of my baseball players. He's a kid in our school. Um, he happens to play baseball for me. But secondly, I, you know, I'm really ticked at that kid now because he represents our program. He represents me in a way, he represents our school. And, and we expect you to act a different way. When you're at McDonald's, you have to act the same way you would act at home with, with your parents at the table, you know? And so we preach that all the time, carrying yourself a different, uh, certain way. Now there's going to be people listening saying, Hey, I've watched your team. Your kids don't carry themselves that well. Well, <laughs> it's not that we don't work on it. <laughs> um, you know, we just are dealing with kids like you are and they screw up all the time. Right. But we are constantly talking to our kids about, um, their character and we believe that character leads to success. Um, and then matter of fact, our third W is win. And um, there's a lot of ways to win. We are trying to win on the scoreboard like crazy. I mean, I am as competitive as a person as you're going to meet. Um, I know records and all that kind of stuff. I'm very into that. But I also think there's all kinds of other ways to win. Um, there's ways to win um, in integrity and character and things like that. So we believe that you take care of the first two W's. If you are using your talents properly in your worship of the temple that God's created, and if you are witnessing and using your character and integrity properly the other w tends to take care of itself because if you're doing those first two things correctly you're probably practicing the right way um and listening the right way and being coached the right way um and and uh accepting coaching the right way so that the the, the other w the scoreboard w ends up taking care of itself um you know um i think for a while we had it reversed we had the scoreboard w first the other things and it just doesn't work as well that way um let me cut you off there was there a was there something that happened was there a moment where you realized that your w's were mixed up and that you had to switch you know funny thing i think the kids and i'm going to specifically talk about a kid named chris kornowski 
uh, who I had back right before we started making our state runs, who, who kind of said to me, <laughs> and, you know, I don't remember exactly how he said it, but he kind of said to me, you know, D-Bart, it feels like you, you got this thing screwed up. It feels like your focus is on winning, and the more you pursue and try and hit that, and the less you worry about what our school's supposedly about, <laughs> about, um, you know, uh, honoring Christ and, and with our talents and, and uh, being better citizens and, and living as good people, the less, the less you're, 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 just get, you're just, we're frustrated and you're frustrated. And uh, how about we turn it around? How about we let, you know, I mean, kid basically suggested it to me and um, we did. And the whole program turned when we did that. Now I'll give a ton of that credit to Greg Pascal our football coach, because baseball turned about the same time football did. And I really think that football sets a culture in a school. If you have a success in especially a small school like ours, where uh, most of my team plays football and baseball. So if they have a successful experience in football, they're coming in thinking they're winning already. You know what I mean? But also he, Greg's philosophy and he started, he was a very much a win, win, win guy. And he turned it over to God because he couldn't get it done that way. And, um, the whole program turned. And um, so it, our school turned, kind of. Um, and there's not really any good explanation. And like I say, you'll have people listen to this that think it's a crack, but I don't know, come come see. You, it you, you, guys, you guys are living it. You guys yeah. are living it. And yeah, man, I, that's, Dave, that, that's, that's powerful stuff. I mean, you talk about hiring these men, you know, your coaching staff, you know, guys coaching multiple sports, kids playing multiple sports, just the culture at your school. You know, obviously you're a big part of that, but you're not the only part of that. I mean, holy God, for a 16-year-old kid to say it to you, to say it to his head coach, it wasn't like, that's going to be a watershed moment probably in the, in the grand scheme of LCL baseball. Holy shit. Well, we're really, we're really blessed. And a lot of, a lot of the quality programs are, and you know this, I know you, you have the same experience with your staff. I mean, I, my staff now has been together. Well, <laughs> we've been together a long time at Lake Country Lutheran. I mean, my assistants on the varsity level have um, been with me, you know, seven, eight, nine years. So um, that produces a lot of common speak and a lot of a really, a lot of stability. Um, and it just makes things a lot easier. Right. So no. Obviously, with with the great people on your staff and all the great influences, like is there, and you've mentioned so much already. But like, are there other things you do as a program? Are there certain um, team building exercises or trips? I mean, you talked about trips you guys have taken in the past. Like, is there any other meat left on that bone? Like, maybe that you guys do inside your program that an outsider wouldn't see that creates maybe feeds those three W's. You know, just besides a post game talk or a pre practice talk. What else do you guys do? How else do you build that? I, I think, uh, um, you know, I think uh, two things that are, have been really, really vital to us. We, we try to travel um, and travel has been huge because getting them away from their own beds and their own parents and house, a different kid. <laughs> it's very interesting. When we travel, we often see a different kid and a different performance. Um, we've had some kids that actually perform much better when their parents are around. Um, you, you know, uh, very interesting. Um, but also, um, you know, I mean, they have to take responsibility for themselves. Now mommy is not taking care of them anymore. So I think travel's been huge for us. Um, uh, I think we've worked out some really powerful relationships with other coaches and programs. I've already mentioned Chad Janetsky. I think our relationship with you guys, uh, with the tournaments that we had when you, got, when you were at Catholic Memorial and, uh, and with uh, Blake Turner have been huge. Um, I think our our kids respect each other and they, and, you know, and um, so looking forward to some of those common things that are on the schedule every year, um, uh, you know, against really classy and quality opponents really, really helps. Um, but then on the fun side, um, and this is one of my assistants, Bill Goodman's committed to this. Um, on the fun side, we try to do uh, two or three activities uh, during the year on, um, and especially like if we get a, you know how Wisconsin's famous for like a, a week in the middle of April where you just can't play because either snows or rains or whatever. We're, we are famous for, and our kids are chomping at the bit. What are we doing this year? We're famous for just busting practice one day and not telling them. And then we end up uh, going to laser tag and we, we spend three hours at laser tag and then we go over to Ryan's and let them eat all you 
can eat buffet uh, until it comes out of their ears, you know, because we know we're not playing the next day. And, and um, you know, so we just take a day off and have fun with that. Uh, we've done whirly ball, um, laser tag, uh, you know, um, rock climbing, um, bowling. Um, you know, we, we, we try and look for two or three key times during the year that we can do that um, and just let them bond outside of baseball, just enjoy each other as people and get to see us as coaches where we're not riding their butts either, you know, because um, I can get pretty intense as the year's going along, especially depending on how the scoreboard results are going, unfortunately, you know, um, and then all of a sudden they've forgotten that I'm a person that loves them and, and, and cares about them much greater than baseball. But we have those, we, we intentionally have those times. Uh, and then we also work really hard to try and bring our teams together outside of season. Um, we have, you know, a lot of times it's around a work day, but we try and accompany uh, 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 it with a, um, or something like that, or a dad son game, or something like that. So, if our at our fall cleanup day, I mean, it's it's. I'll send an email out to all of our families and say, hey, we're we're going to meet at the baseball diamond from nine to noon. If anybody wants to come out to help take down the batting cages, and I'll have forty people out there, you know, taking down batting cages and weed whacking and spreading dirt around, and they just want to hang out together. And then you know, and then I'll say, and then after you know, if anybody comes, you know, afterwards, you know, bring a dish and we'll have a potluck or you know whatever. And uh, they just they just want the community, and especially now with the with COVID. Uh, when we were able to play in, in July this summer, you know, I mean, people just coming out of the rafters. We had probably had more fan attendance and more, our players were more involved than they've been in a long time, you know, um, because they, they missed it. They missed the community, right? So you, know, you, you, gotta, you, you gotta make it enjoyable. You have to make it enjoyable as much as you can, even though you're doing hard work and trying to accomplish big things. So, well. Speaking of like learning new things and, and trying different stuff, throw it on the wall, see what sticks. Is there anything you've learned recently, maybe on the field or, you know, in leadership or again, it could be a drill or something you want to, you've learned, you saw someone do it differently and it made you rethink how you teach something, something that's maybe challenged how you instruct um, a certain skill or a certain strategy of the game? I would say um, probably the biggest skill thing that I've changed here in the last couple of years, and one of my assistant coaches really changed my philosophy on this. I was a, um, and we've always been a pretty good hitting team, all of my teams, all the way through. Um, and I think that's more because um, of repetition. We do, we do a ton of hitting drills and we have a whole hitting progression we do every day religiously. Um, and I think it makes um, average kids, you know, more successful. Uh, it, it makes your lower level player more successful just through repetition and breaking down the swing into certain things. I was always a really, really big top hand um, tennis forehand almost. Uh, uh, with, do you understand what I'm saying? With the oh, top, yeah. a firm top hand on contact and then slightly after contact, slightly out in front of the plate, rolling the wrist over so that you got a humpback line drive or a ground ball as opposed to a fly ball. Because in my mind, in the, in the high school game, a fly ball is the easiest out that there is, right? If you have competent competition, you put the ball up in the air and it's going to get run down. You know, I mean, Fox is going to run down anything in the air out there. So, you know, you got to hit the ball either on the ground and give yourself a chance or a line drive, right? And I don't think there's anything wrong with that philosophy, but I think what I was teaching swing-wise was actually producing, was taking power away from us was producing more ground balls than it was um, balls that carried into the gap and rolled to the fence. Uh, because what we've done now the last three or four years is one of my assistant coaches convinced me to use the language of finishing, finish, fin finishing high. So really not concentrating so much on the top hand after contact, but the um, bottom hand finishing long, finishing long through the zone and high to get the um rather than top spin the back spin so that when the ball hits in the gap it rolls out to the fence are you with me on this oh, I, i'm i'm following yeah and uh, that was it maybe maybe everybody on here is watching going yeah duh, you idiot but for me that was a, actually a fundamental change um about three or four years ago and i think it produced we've produced better power numbers um, than we did. We haven't hit as for as high an average, but that's been more <laughs> the quality of the players. I mean, you can't, I, they're, they're, the, the, the couple of years that we had there in the mid 2000 teens, uh, I, 
I don't even use those. I mean, those numbers are in the record book, but I don't use them for comparison because they're ridiculous. Um, those teams, you know, we hit, you know, like 380 as a team. It's ridiculous. Um, so we, we aren't producing as high average maybe, but I, I'm seeing more power out of our kids. And it's not actually power because they're not that strong. I mean, I don't know what it is about Lutheran kids, but they don't eat their Wheaties or something. They're just, we're not that strong. Um, but we are getting balls that have better carry and they have better run in the outfield. And so we're getting an extra base or two that we weren't getting. And um, so I've become a big believer in that. That's been a, um, you know, it's, it, so we're teaching a different follow through than we taught for a lot of years. So. I mean, that just says a lot about you as a guy who had state championships in his back pocket, who came from a very successful program in Indiana. You very could have easily said, Hey, we're going to run out the exact same blueprint. We know it works. You know, this, call it new school, call it whatever, you know, get out of here. It's not what we do. Look at the record books, but for you to be open-minded enough and have a growth mindset to say, you know, maybe there's something there. Let's dig into this. It says a lot about you as um, now that kind of transitions to my next question. Like, what do you know now 33 years in that you wish you knew when you started? Like, what do you know about coaching that you wish you could give advice to your younger self? Yeah, and, and this is one that I think I wish I had picked up from my wife because she knew it a lot earlier than I did, obviously. Um, and it, it just hit me, like, around 2010. Um, I, I was spending so much of my career, I think, reacting. And the reason I was spending so much of my time reacting is I was doing a very poor job preparing. And I just think we are much, much, much better at preparing now than we ever were. And I, I'm going to give credit to somebody who I would have never thought I would talk about on this, um, this video. But when I was coaching football still at Lake Country Lutheran, our offense coordinator, Eric Malm, when they got really good in football, he started to do some things offensively um, where he would be putting in plays and stuff. And I, was, I went to him one time and I said, Eric, what are you putting this stuff in for? Um, we're not using any of it. I mean, he was putting in sets and plays and stuff, and we were drilling him in practice, and, and, and we weren't using it. I was like, what a waste of time of this is. And he said, that's for week two of the playoffs. And I went, what? I mean, because this was like even before the first game. And he said, we're going to need that in week two. But they had gotten to the point of frustration where they weren't moving any farther in football, and they knew they had to do something differently. And the only way they were going to knock, you know, whether it was um, – St. Mary Springs or whoever was on their radar off was by preparing in a different way. And especially in a sport there that could be scouted, they were preparing for something that didn't even exist yet. They had, they, they had a vision that they actually could accomplish something 10 weeks before and they prepared for it. And my wife does that too. She prepares for a state championship in the preseason. And I, I think that was a change for me. I, I, I mean, I don't know why, but I was maybe too consumed with just the next week or the next game. I've always been um, the, probably the biggest thing that I manage is the pitchers and my staff. So I'm always thinking, you know, when's this guy, especially now with the pitch count, when's this guy available next? How do I set it up? And I'm always looking a lot week to week. And you have to do that too, right? Otherwise you're going to not be best that week. But there, there has to be a part of your program and a part of you that is dreaming about whatever it might not be the state championship but whatever your end goal is for that year but that team when you look at them what you think they can accomplish if it's a regional championship or whatever there's something you need to prepare and it might even be emotionally that you need to get your team prepared for so that they can handle it when it gets there because otherwise it all goes haywire in the fifth inning right your pitcher loses it and you don't have a kid ready who can step into that situation and, and make you successful um I mean, the best example of it is, uh, our, you know, our um, second state championship was, a, uh, or not our second, our first state championship was an 11-inning game, and that game was finished out, you know, by a, by, um, by a pitcher who hadn't pitched, you know, in like two or three weeks, but he threw all of his bullpens leading up to there, and I kept telling him, you're going to have to pitch in the state tournament. And he's looking at me going, I'm the number five on our staff. I'm not pitching in the state tournament. Well, you are if it goes 11 innings. You know, and for whatever reason, we prepared him for that situation. The next year when we won the state championship, the kid who got the win was a sophomore. He came off of a wrist break. He missed six weeks. And um, he got the cast off the um, 
Monday before we, the Tuesday that we left for state. And that Monday he threw a bullpen and I said to him, you might throw in the state tournament. And he ended up throwing the last two thirds of the, of the bottom of the seventh, um, you know, and then we came back and won that game in the bottom. He threw the top of the seventh. In the bottom. So he came in and got us out of the inning and he ended up getting the win because we won in the, in the bottom, you know, on a walk-off. You know, but it's, it's like I say, it's, sometimes it's even emotional or it's mental. It's not even, it's, it's preparing your kids. Because um, when, we when we were not preparing well and we were reacting, when I would react, the whole team went nuts. You follow what I'm saying? And now if I can just be prepared, then I can stay calm. Everybody else stays calm and they start believing, oh, I guess this is just the way it goes. And we're, we'll, we'll work it out. We'll figure this thing out. You know, so it, I'm an emotional guy. I'm a real emotional guy and I wear on my sleeve. I don't hide very well. So I have to prepare myself to realize it's a long game and one out in the fifth inning, you know, isn't necessarily going to, I've lived through too many games now where <laughs> I've seen the wildest things happen, you know? Well, and that's where my mind went. And I'm, I just want to sit in that moment for a second. You got back-to-back state championships and two of the craziest finals, state finals, and you're there, like, how do you, as the head guy, manage that? What's going through your head? Like, what have you done to prepare yourself for the absolute chaos that is, you know, those moments? Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, the, the 11 inning game is crazy because we faced a runner at third with less than two outs straight innings in, in the bottom half of the inning. You know, if that runner scores, the game's over. We right. were you know, because it was the bottom half of the inning. And we got out of all of them, including the, you'll probably remember the, the bare hand um, pitcher to catcher squeeze bunt, uh, basically squeeze bunt that, you know, the kid barehanded fielded it diving and threw it to the catcher who barehanded it for the out. Um, and that pitcher is the one I'm talking about. That, that was Chris Kornowski. He was our number five that year. And he's on the mound in that game and makes the play of the state championship. Um, you know, and, and he's a kid who for three weeks, I said, you're going to pitch in the state championship. And he looked at me and said, no, I ain't. Well, you're not only going to pitch in the state championship, you're going to make the critical play in the state championship. Um, you know, so you know, part of it is preparing mentally. Um, part of it is just experience, right? Um, some of the teams that I, I had some really, really good teams when I was first coaching. And unfortunately for those kids, I didn't know enough how to stay calm and, and keep them calm. And unfortunately, I probably cost some of my teams, the ability to go on, especially like my very, very first year of coaching, we were 28 and three in Indiana. And um, I think we had a team that could have won the state championship and we lost a three to two game in the, in the regional final. Um, and, you know, I just think if, if I had handled it better and gotten out of their way, who knows, right? You don't know, but um, knowing what I know now, I would I just would have, has worked up I would have handled the pitching changes differently um things like that um you know I, I you know Tim it's it's easier when I look back at 33 years of coaching of the number of times that things didn't work out um so that you become accustomed to it not working out so maybe you're not phased when they do because you're not expecting them to I guess you know I mean I I've had just crazy things happen so well I got one more question for you you've been so generous with your time like so it sounds like you're a continuous learner, you know, you, so like you as a learner, are you someone who likes to read? Do you listen to podcasts? Do you call other coaches in the area? Like you know, what, what is there stuff you would recommend for us as coaches, as we're trying to get better or learn a certain skill, like you know, send us down a better path. What, what would you recommend someone to pick up if it's a book or whatever it may be? I'm a math guy, so I'm not a great reader. <laughs> um, and one of the reasons I went into math is because I, I don't love to read. Um, my daughter is an English major, and she makes fun of me all the time. I tell her, I devour the statistics in the paper. I do. I read the paper every day, the sports section. But I'm not a great novel or book reader. Um, so I haven't done a, done a bunch of reading in my past. Um, only in my career before, all of the digital stuff, all the technical stuff, uh, a huge goer. Um, in Indiana, the Indiana High School Baseball Coaches Association, which is a you know sister or brother of the Wisconsin Baseball Coaches Association, is very well known. It is one of the very first coaches associations to really, really do well and bring in speakers from other states. And um, because we were a, a, a power year, we were um, 
you know, we were, we were um, very well recognized at that clinic and, and, and got into a lot of conversations with a lot of other coaches that helped our program along. Um, and then when I got here, um, you know, for every coach out there, if you are from Wisconsin, get to your, or if you're from a different state, get to your state baseball clinic, um, learn from your peers, uh, and not just the sessions. The sessions are awesome. Every year I learn something. Every single year I learn something at the sessions learn even more if you're willing to have conversations and make friendships with the coaches and, and just hang out and just talk baseball like we are now. Um, do that before games. I mean, I've learned as much from you in, you know, our 10 meetings as opposing coaches talking before games and just listening to how you handle your guys and what you're thinking and, you know, and, and, and giving a scoop on a common opponent. And, um, but a lot of times, you know, you and I are just talking personalities and how do you handle a kid who has this kind of personality I mean you you were great for me the last four years when I dealt with a kid who is tough personality to handle right and um, you know I think we've you know all, all coaches are good that way um, but I've gotten big now into technology uh, with the podcast uh, you know, I, I encourage everybody out there to get on the ABCA site and um, I mean, those podcasts, every single one of them are awesome. You, you, any college coach or any, you know, uh, pro specialist out there is putting out videos. And, um, you know, I subscribe to Coaches Insider and, and I get those videos and those breakdown drills. And so anything that comes my way, I'm going to look at it and read it. And I, I actually firmly believe that, I don't know, anything about baseball. So I'm just stealing tips like crazy from people all the time. And I, I'm, I am totally willing to change what we're doing if you can convince me that what you're doing is better. Um, you know, so, you know, I mean, I'll have the kids bat and circle their bat behind their head or whatever if that if it's going to make us successful. I don't believe that I have the market on any knowledge in any one area of baseball um, that couldn't be changed for something better. So I'm always listening and, and trying to find out things. And, um, you know, we were talking earlier about change and growth. Um, every single team you have is different and you have to figure out the personality of your team. And I, I think every year we handle them a little bit different. Um, obviously we do a lot of things the same. There's traditions with our, in our program, but there's also things that you have to do personality wise with your team, uh, and handle them differently. Um, you know, uh, it might be different strategy. It might be different emotionally. It might be different, um, you know, levels of fun. Um, like, as you know, had, I had a tough challenge with a couple of parents and players the last four years. That was a totally different way than how we're handling our team now. Um, we don't have those issues, so we can do some different things, you know. Um, so, but yeah, I think you have to be willing to do that. You have to grow and learn with your team every year. And some of that is happening during the season. It's happening throughout the process, you know. So. Yeah. Oh, well, that's all I got for you. Do you have anything else for us? Anything else, any other piece of advice or anything else that, you, that you've thought of? Um, again, you've been so gracious with your time. No, I could talk baseball forever. I probably way more than you wanted me to. Sorry. No, no. That's the beauty of this format is we just go, we just, yeah. and, and you know, and, and hope the computer doesn't run out of the battery. Right. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Dave, um, thank you so much for your time. And I, I truly appreciate everything you're doing for us. Thanks. I enjoyed it. And there it is. Huge thank you to Dave Barr for taking the time to sit down with us today. When I think about Dave, I think about the quote, sail the right ships, meaning striving for strong relationships with your players, and ultimately that leads to championships. Like he mentioned in the interview, and I know we've all been there before, sometimes you reverse that, you're chasing wins, you're chasing championships to validate yourself. And looking at the blueprint that Dave's laid out in his program, it'd be hard to debate what the successful way is. Obviously, tremendous amount of success, does it the right way, one of the great, great men in our game. And I'm so happy that he is representing us at the state level and with the WIA Advisory Board. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. We also hope that you tune back in for next episode when we sit down with a Division I head baseball coach in the state of Wisconsin, um, who also serves as an athletic director and he was a former WBCA president. Until then, thanks for tuning in and have a great rest of your day.